I wasn't joking, so if anybody wants them, it's right here. All right. If you have a Bible with you, you, you can turn to 1 John 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can pull out your phone and look on your phone. If you don't have either of those with you, just sit, listen, that's all right. Our reading comes from 1 John 5, 6 through 12. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. And anyone, and, and anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A lot of us, um, a lot of us studied, we, we took a history class in high school, a couple of history classes. How many people hated history class? Shame on you. History is the greatest subject. Everyone knows that. As a history major in college, that is the truth. No, uh, we, we've all, we've been taught history. We all have taken history classes. A lot of us, we've learned history. A lot of us, it went in one ear, went out the other. And in history class, a lot of us are taught a very simplified view of history. We get a view of history where everything, yeah, just seems simple. We're kind of, we get this narrative that like, you know, for thousands of years, things were really bad, but slowly and slowly throughout history, everything's been getting a lot better. And, you know, whether that's uh, technologically, whether that's intellectually or politically, things have slowly and slowly getting better. So now things are a lot better than they were 2,000 years ago. And we get this same assumption when you talk to people about like the history of religion, right? Way back in the day, people were worshiping rocks, people worshiping trees, and how simple was that? And then they got a little more complicated. They stopped worshiping the rocks, and they worshiped the God of the rocks, or the God of the trees, or the God of lightning. And then, you know, we believe that this, you know, that God revealed himself as Jesus, and so a lot of people started believing in one triune God, and that's a little more intellectually complex and then some people would even say that actually we're evolving so much or we're better understanding stuff. So now we've, we've progressed to the point where we don't even need to believe in God anymore. We have this very simplified view of history where it's like it's slowly working towards like a, a better thing. But, is that ex but that's not exactly when, when we look back at history and we start to look a little bit closer. That's not exactly what we get. It's not exactly true. And in our passage today, when we, when we understand the context, we see what Pastor John, who wrote this letter, what he's trying to come up against. You see, Pastor John, he's writing this letter to the, to the, the church that he, the church network that he helped plant. To give you a little context, 
He was probably, uh, he probably had a house church network that was based in uh, Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And Ephesus was this pretty decent-sized city. It was on the coast, pretty cosmopolitan. It wouldn't have been huge like Rome or Corinth. It would have been a little smaller. You know, a similar parallel would be like a Portland, maybe a Seattle, cosmopolitan, pretty progressive, you know, a place where when you graduated school in Athens, that's where you wanted to go. You didn't want to go stay in your hometown with your parents, all those like backwards people. No, you wanted to go to like one of those cool, small city. They probably had a lot of really good, you know, Egyptian food or something. And so Ephesus was this cosmopolitan place and therefore, there had been all these really smart, learned people that had studied philosophy and all these other things. And they would have heard this message that Pastor John was, was writing to the churches. Maybe, you know, one of these well-trained people had come into the church that day just to check it out. And they would have heard this message about the water and the blood and about the love of God, Jesus and how God became like a human. He took on flesh to die for our sins. And these like wise, secular, you know, uh, well-read people would have thought, this is ridiculous. This is the dumbest thing I ever heard. We all know that's just such a backwater crazy thing that I left when I went to college, they're probably thinking. It's superstitious. Why would God become a person? Why would God take on flesh? Fleshly, flesh is bad. The physical things of this world are bad, they would have thought. The spiritual stuff is the important stuff. That's what really matters. The spiritual side. When we die, we want to get rid of our bodies so that we can be more true to what our nature should be. Spiritual. And so, Pastor John, he's dealing with this stuff when he's writing this letter to this church. Because there were all sorts of Gentile, these well-learned people coming to this church and he's probably heard from a few of them, or at least maybe they were writing him letters or some of his pastors were writing him letters saying like, we got these people who are telling us that they don't believe that Jesus was a real physical person, that, that was, that's all just spiritual sense. They don't, they want to just, they, they like the teachings about Jesus. They like all that stuff, but they, they're not going to take the other things because the, they're saying the spiritual stuff is more important. And Pastor John is writing this. And he's like, no, that's, that's essential stuff. You have to believe this. But no, they don't want anything of it. They're smarter than that. The spiritual side's more important anyway. You know, I've, I've said it a number of times. I love reading some of these early church, the letters to early churches, because it reminds us that they're not too different from some of the things we deal with today. Sure, like people 2,000 years ago were all, in some ways a lot different than we are today. But this is one of those where it's pretty similar. We, we, all, we live in a city like Portland, a city where Christianity is the minority. Um, most people are not, uh, you know, believers in um, any sort of spiritual life. And so we probably know a number of people who, they're like, yes, I love the teachings of Jesus. I love, like, you know, his, his radical call to love and to serve the poor and this activism and commitment to justice and bringing about peace and and maybe like, you know, the nonviolent like uh, ways that, uh, of, of his teachings. They love that stuff about Jesus. They, they like, they, they would wish that Christians do that a little bit better, better you know, myself included. Like we, we, we need to do a better job of those things, but they love all that stuff. But they're like, well, you know, 
I, 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 I like Jesus, but I, you know, the, the stuff like the virgin birth, stuff, you know, like him coming and dying on a cross and rising again. No, 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 no. They, I don't, they don't want to take that stuff either. They like Jesus, but they don't like some of the other teachings about Jesus in his life that we confess. Besides, they're thinking like the spiritual moral lessons are more important anyway, right? Sounds a lot like the context that Pastor John is preaching to. But, you know, we, we read the letter of John and we think, but yeah, but that's not us. We're good Christian people. We trust in the Bible. We read the Bible and we believe that it's true. We, we believe in the flesh of Jesus, that he actually came to this world, that he physically died on a cross and he physically rose again. We're, we're good people, so let's just end the sermon here. Let's look right now. I'm choking. We believe in that stuff, so what's the problem? We believe in the essentials. We don't want to reject the essentials. Well, one of the things that I think we do is, uh, and myself included, that we, we, we want to add some non-essentials to the essential list. We want to add certain things that, are, that, that we want to make claims about other beliefs that we think are just as important about Jesus' you know, physical death and resurrection. You know, we might say things like, well, you know, if you don't baptize your baby, you're not a real Christian or, you know, how, you, can't, you can't be a real Christian unless you, you know, affirm the doctrine of a limited atonement. Or, you know, like if you believe in evolution, there's no way you could possibly be a Christian. Or if you, if you vote for the Democrats or the Republicans or insert political party here, you can't be a Christian. If, you're, if, you're, if you like capitalism, oh, that's so anti-Christian. Or socialism, don't get me started, that's so against Christianity. And we say all these types of things. Maybe we even, we'll even do it about whole churches. Oh, that church has a female pastor? Oh, no, they can't be Christians. So we have elevated certain things to the same level as the belief of a physical death and resurrection of Jesus. Sure, some of us here, we, don't, we, we say we affirm the essentials when we know what those are. But we want to add all these non-essentials to the list of things you need to believe and agree with. So therefore, a lot of us, we have our beliefs mixed up. We don't know what's essential and what's not essential. And even those of us who might think we have a good idea of what the essential list is, spoiler, I think it's, look, look to the Apostles' Creed. If we think we know that, we still add non-essentials anyway and put up barriers to the gospel. You know, a lot of people, they don't want to dig into things like what Pastor John is talking about to his average, you know, ordinary congregation he's writing, writing these letters to. We don't want to dig into what it means to affirm a doctrine like the incarnation, the death and resurrection of Jesus, because that's just that heady theology. That's for PhDs. That's for people in the, in the colleges and seminaries. Let them deal with it. That doesn't affect my daily walk with Christ, my daily witness to people around me. That's not something that Pastor John would agree with a statement like that. It's not just left for the people with special titles and funny letters after their names. Pastor John wants to remind us that the incarnation, believing that Jesus came, that he died in the flesh, the blood, the water, the spirit attest to all these things. This is important for us, and it affects how we live our daily lives. You see, Pastor John, he's doing some weird stuff that 
even I'm, I'm not 100%, I, I'm not, it's not 100% clear when he's talking about the water and the spirit, all these things, the three testify. It's it, best understood as like kind of some like ancient rhetoric logic stuff that maybe it's hard for us to track. But the point of what he's getting at is he is reminding this group, these people in his church, those people who think, oh, the spiritual is more important. I don't have to believe in this physical resurrection, this physical death stuff. He's reminding these people that actually you do. And guess what? I was there. I was there. I saw Jesus die. I saw his blood. I wrote about his, his water. You know, the water coming out of side when he was pierced by the spear. I saw all these things. I know they happened. I can testify them. But my testimony isn't as important as what God tells us. What God says to us, that these things are important. Because what Jesus' death and resurrection means is that they show us what God's character is like. Like Pastor John this entire time, this whole book, right? It's just like he's hammering home, love, 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 love. And he's reminding us that this is the greatest expression of who God is, of what God's love looks like. That God would die on a cross to save us from our sins, to set us free so that we can live in a similar way, that we would know what real love, true love looks like. That we would be able to sacrifice ourselves, that we would be able to die to ourselves and follow him, offer this self-sacrificial love. Pastor John, I like to think he would say to those people, well, you know, this idea of the incarnation of the Son of God is just not something that fits within my cultural sensibilities. He'd say, good, it shouldn't, because what the culture tells you is that power comes from overpowering people. You want to follow a God that kills other people, that kills other gods to be powerful. And he says, no, no, no. What you want is a God who's willing to offer himself to the point of death. Offer himself for you. That's what power looks like. That's what true love looks like. Doesn't fit in the Roman context. Doesn't really all fit all that well in our American context either. It's good when some of our Christian beliefs go against our cultural sensibilities because Jesus is the ultimate loving act. He offers himself for us in order to set us free. I, um, it is, I think it is important for us to remember that these things do affect how we live. Some of these, what we would call like deep, maybe theological, philosophical concepts. And one of the people that I always appreciated reading who helped me understand how important something like a, you know Jesus physically coming in the flesh physically dying on the cross um, was this pastor named John Perkins we got another pastor John so here we go and pa and John Perkins pastor John Perkins he um, you know he started ministry in like a poor rural area and I think Mississippi don't quote me on that but he he, he and some other people, they got together and they, they started what's called the Christian Community Development Association. And what they talked, what they were reading from the Bible, what they were experiencing in their ministry contexts were, when we look to what Jesus does for us, this shows us how we live out our faith. Pat, I remember in one of his books he writes that, you know, Jesus didn't commute home every day to heaven after ministry. He's like, Jesus had skin in the game, literal skin in the game when it comes 
to loving us. And so when we live out our faith, that we need to do that as well. We need to show the love, in tang- the love of Christ in tangible ways because our belief in a physical death and resurrection is essential to what it means to be loving, to be Christian. So Pastor John, Pastor John Perkins would say this as well. You know, if you don't believe in something like the virgin birth, if you don't believe in a physical Jesus and you want to just, you know, take the spiritual lessons from that, well, you can't really claim to be a Christian. You can't really be a believer. And you can't be assured that you have the essential beliefs and, and have eternal life. And so in order to have eternal life, we have to believe in what Jesus truly does for us, this radical act of love to save us from our sins. Not just to stop there, though, right? Like, you know, we talk about eternal life, and that's, that's yes, it's definitely part of it, and how, like, when we die, we're going to go to heaven. We don't have to worry. We'll be with Jesus. We'll be able to see all of our friends and family who are there. Yes, but eternal life starts now. It's eternal life, right? Like it's not, we don't, we don't wait until later for it to start. Once we have been saved, once the, the power of Christ's blood has been poured out on us to save us, to set us free from evil, this radical act of love, we now get to live for him. We get to live for Jesus. We get to, we know what that love looks like and we're able to share that with other people. We're able to go out into our communities to, to live like Jesus lived, to, to fight against injustice, to share the gospel with other people without fear of anything that could happen to us. Because here's the thing. If you have eternal life, what's the worst thing that could happen? I mean, and we all know what's the worst thing that could happen. That you could, you know, people could die for their faith, and it still happens today. Not, all, not in the U.S. as much, but in other parts of the world, it certainly does. But they, those people in other parts of the world that die for their faith, that die for you know, sacrificing themselves for others, for sharing their beliefs, for showing Christ's love, they know that when you have eternal life, there's nothing anyone can do to separate you from God's love. And so there's no fear in loving like Jesus loved because Jesus has already offered his life as an act of love for us. Would you please join me in prayer? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Lord, we come to you. Lord, it's, we don't know often how to love like you do. You show us your love on the cross, and you call us to love in your resurrection. Lord, you've set us free from sin and evil. You've set us free from any cultural expectations, any other ways to define our life. But Lord, we define our lives by your love, by the blood you shed for us. Show us ways this week, Lord, that we can show that love to others through sharing our faith, through fighting against injustice, for meeting people's needs. Lord, We don't define our lives by any other version of success. We only define our lives by your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.